Hello friends, welcome to episode 3 of the Ugly Growth Podcast. This is Andrea Cowan-Howen. I'm so excited to be here with you today. I actually have my first guest on the podcast today, so I'm sitting down with Amanda Carson. And Amanda is a therapist, she's also a yoga teacher, and she has a private practice in the province of Manitoba, Canada. And she actually uses a really unique holistic approach where she incorporates trauma-informed yoga as well as mindfulness-based therapy and multiple other modalities. But really what she seems to specialize in and is the reason I have her on the podcast today is to discuss grief. So she does grief counseling as well as provides end-of-life care and education as a certified death doula which is so interesting to me and is something that we're going to cover in the podcast of what that even means and what that entails. So today's going to be a really interesting conversation about grief and death and what it really means to navigate these experiences as a human being. And my hope is that it will offer some support to any of you who might be moving through your own experience of grief right now. All right, Amanda, hello. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. I'm so excited to have you on here. How are you feeling today? I am excited to be here as well. I know that when you launched your first episode, I was able to listen to it on the car ride home and shared it on my Instagram and had people on my page fall in love with your voice and I think just like the energy that you bring to it so I'm excited to see where the conversation goes and what we can create. That's amazing thank you so much for sharing that that makes me really happy yeah so we connected on Instagram a while back we haven't actually met in person but we're both born and raised in the same city in Canada And I wanted to have you on today to talk about the topic of grief, because I think that is such an important um, sort of underlying notion that's so present in our society right now. And so many people are moving through grief in their own way and and maybe aren't even aware that that they're moving through grief. And I know that's something that you specialize in, in your, in your practice, you do uh, private practice, and you specialize in grief counseling. So I think a really good place for us to start off today would just be to talk a little bit about um, how you, how you found yourself really in this role and what drew you into grief counseling and why, why that topic spoke to you more than others. Yeah, so when I began my career as a social worker um, in 2015, I'd been looking for work um, only for a couple of months, actually. But that in itself was stressful and difficult. Some of my friends had gotten placed somewhere right away and, and I just hadn't. And so I was feeling a little lost and I ended up finding a position in a long-term care in my hometown in, in Portage La Prairie, actually. And so that was my first introduction into the world of social work, um, aside from my practicum that I did as a student. And in that role within the long-term care facility, of course, as a social worker, the role has 
many hats, but one being that psychosocial support to residents and families. And in that setting, people are going there to carry out their final days. And so I really quickly was thrown into this world of loss and death and grief in that professional sense and fell in love with it immediately. I had no, no idea that that's where I wanted to be, but it came and it felt like such a fit right, right away. Um, in terms of my personal life, I've experienced a number of losses of family members, uh, but also of friends who had passed suddenly and tragically. And that created a lot of death anxiety in me, a lot of questioning around things like purpose and meaning and what I would call actually almost some sort of break. Um, like I feel like I, whatever we want to call that, like a mental breakdown, a psychotic break, um, a spiritual awakening, whatever we want to term that as um, in 2018. And in my own healing and work around those things, I've just come to realize that all of us, no matter who we are, are going to have these experiences and move through them. And if we can meet them, even in that depth of pain and fear and darkness, then we can move through that. And I think come to live our lives more fully and embrace what it really means to be human. So it's been a professional journey and a personal journey for sure. Yeah, no, that's super interesting. And you touched on some really important points there and that there is such a, such a fear of death. And it's, it's the only guarantee <laughs> that we as humans have in this life is that we're all gonna die one day. But yet we live in this perpetual state of fear of death and we take all these sort of intense measures in order to prevent it or prolong prolong the life cycle, right? So yeah, I'm curious to, to talk more about, about that, about your experience with, with death anxiety and what that has looked like for you. Yeah, yeah. So personally, um, it's been years, I would say, that I'd had these kinds of ups and downs with, with death anxiety. Um, so in the last 10 years, like I'd said, I'd lost a number of friends um, in tragic, sudden ways. So I had a friend uh, pass away in a car accident. Um, I had a friend go uh, missing and she's still, missing, though the case has turned more into investigation of, um, of murder. Um, and I had another friend as well, um, who was murdered in Brandon. And so these losses came really close together too, within, within just short years of one another. And 
I remember in my experience in those early days, you know, I was so scared to even leave the house. I didn't, I didn't want to go grocery shopping. There was just panic and fear happening in, in me, in my body, in my mind. You know, I would wake up in the morning and the first thought that I would have would be like, you're going to die someday. And, you know, to be honest, I still wake up and have that thought sometimes. Um, but it's changed in the way that I relate to that thought. Like it doesn't create um, or have so much of like a hold on me anymore, which is really interesting because I think that we can work with those things that just pop into our mind, pop into our awareness, how we, how we then respond to them. Um, and so over this, this number of years, I really had thought to myself, okay, I have an option here. I can live in this place of fear and anxiety forever, or I can face it head on. Um, and so I chose the latter and have been working um, with a number of practitioners around this, um, a hypnotherapist, Nikki Cosmo, I don't know if you follow her, but she is amazing. And she has her own really um, just unbelievable experience with, with death as well. Her entire immediate family, parents and her sister all have passed away. Mm-hmm. And so she was like such a great mentor to me to build this relationship with death and with loss. Mm-hmm. And in 2020, I decided to complete an end of life doula training because I just wanted to immerse myself in this world. Because, like you say, we can deny it all we want, but I don't know that that's actually going to help anything um, in the long run because we know what's inevitable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. And. Yeah, I'd love to hear more about the the end of life doula training. And yeah, just if you could talk a bit about what that even means and, and what that entails. Yeah, so just like a birth doula, where we would have someone supporting a mother bringing a child into the world, end of life or death doulas support those and their families as they prepare for the end of their life. Mm-hmm. And that can really be done at any stage. I think sometimes or most of the time in our world, we don't want to talk about death. We don't want to think about it. We don't even want to plan for it. And that can end up leaving our family members completely lost, not knowing what we would have wanted in those final moments or even after death, what what you know, do we want to happen with our belongings? Where do we want to be laid to rest? Anything like that. And so I think that can create a lot of stress and anxiety that perhaps can be eased if we have these conversations, just like we would plan, whether that be a birthday, a retirement, Mm -hmm. anything, we plan everything else. So, you know, an end of life doula is someone that can meet with with someone and their loved ones and provide that support, that that psychosocial spiritual support, non-medical support, but really allowing someone to understand what they want their dying process to look like, what choices do they have? Because as we know, not, not everybody will have that choice in their death, but 
but some of us will and we can decide what we want that to be like and look like what we want to happen after we we are no longer here mm -hmm. and so those services can really meet a person where they're at if someone wants to plan you know, even things like their healthcare directives, do they want to be resuscitated if they come to that place in hospital? Do they want to die in hospital? Do they want to die at home? Like all of these things. Yeah. Um, but that could also be things like planning, perhaps a funeral or a celebration of life. Um, even working with, with folks around things like pain management and that death anxiety. So personally, I like to bring in um, like the aspects of hypnotherapy and hypnosis around pain and around fears. So there's really, there's really a number of ways that an end of life doula or a death doula can show up and support someone no matter what stage they're at in their life and, and look towards what's important to them as they end their life. Yeah. Wow. And like, what an, important service as you mentioned because I think so many people avoid those things and then often it gets to a point where it's too late yeah. and I think that was <clears throat> definitely part of my experience like even when my mom was sick because we I think I mean when you have a family member who's who's battling cancer you obviously want to hold that like vision of hope mm -hmm. right and yeah. so in that sometimes there's um sometimes there's a lack of acceptance of like that inevitable, well, like, you know, she might die, they might die, they may not make it. And in holding on to that hope, it like, yeah, you, in a sense, you avoid all of that. Um, yeah, that actual like, planning for death, which is so important because depending on, yeah, your family member, your loved one, the, the state that they are in, like they might not be able to make that decision at a later date, like, depending on how things escalate, right? So I think what you're talking about with the, the preemptive planning and really finding out like what's important to them and what they want is so, so, so important. And just while you were speaking, I was reminded of, of this like interview I was listening to recently with um, someone named Matthias Stefano, And he's someone who says that he remembers like all of his past lives from like the times of Atlantis and stuff like that. Have you, have you heard of him at all? I think I might have um, listened to that same episode. On the Where this podcast? Yeah. 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 yeah I listened to it um, in December and it, and I really loved it. I really yeah. loved it. Yeah. So something that he talked about that I really like is um, like how they used to approach death. And when someone was about to die, they would be like surrounded by pleasure. So they'd have people like massaging them and playing them music and making sure they were in a state of like pure bliss and pure ecstasy before they pass over, which is just so completely different from the very like somber sterile um sad way that we send people over today and yeah just that like stark difference and really thinking about like how we are sending them off in, into that next realm is so so interesting and, and I wonder like what you know the future is going to bring for for that death experience if we're going to stay in this state of of yeah really somber really sad or if we're going to move more into um 
yeah, some, some sort of different send off in the future. Yeah, well, I think that there are things that are changing in this realm because even, even the, the MAID program, um, like the medical assistance and dying program, right? It's often folks that are living with cancer that are now actually given that right to choose that they don't want to continue and they are ready to, whatever we wanna call that, release the fight, they're ready to surrender, they're ready to find peace. Because I, I think, you know, and as you were speaking earlier, sometimes people in those positions, they want to also hold on to that hope and that strength for those around them as well. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I think people need to be given that permission that it's okay to die, which just sounds so, as we say that, of course we are, but that's not, that's not what we've been told, right? And so given, given that permission that it's okay to die and also then where are people dying? Mm -hmm. And there are, I've seen a number of facilities opening up um, around Canada, anyways, in some of my research of, of certain homes and things that are now going to be providing that service where people can come. Um, similar, like we have things like hospice, right? But this would be um, homes where medical assistance and dying would be carried out. And that would be the focus. The focus would be on uh, providing that environment where people do go to choose to have that um, that service and and pass away, yeah, maybe surrounded by the people, hopefully surrounded by the people that they love or that they want to be with them. Which, of course, this like brings me to a whole thing. Even just thinking what's been happening with COVID in these last couple of years and how family members and and those that have passed have not had that opportunity to be with the people that they want. Like, it just, yeah, I, I don't even know what to say about that because it's, it's certainly happened and it's time that people will never get back. And mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, that goes, I feel like that could go down a whole other, a whole other path, but. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I think in in the times of this pandemic there's been so much um yeah it, attempting to prevent death that we're actually not we're not living and it's no. it's really sad yeah watching like the effect that this has had especially on on the older like our grandparents and, and the older generation like yeah they're they're alone they're they're sad and yeah having to die alone and not not even being able to like have a funeral in so many instances and people can't even gather together to really grieve. And I think having a, a community um, in that grief process and, and like some sort of, yeah, closing really to come together is so important. Well, and just, and we know when we look at things like trauma right we know that it's oftentimes an experience where it was 
unrecognized or unseen or unwitnessed in the sense that we've gone through something and we didn't have that support or those those safe people or those safe connections and I think that that's before we started recording right we were talking about things like anger that we're seeing and this this kind of divide that's happening and I think a lot of a lot of that is people's experiences that have been completely isolating um, has now created and and I don't know rightfully so this 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 anger um, I guess it's what can we do with that anger how can we then move through that in a way that is going to be honoring of ourselves, our experience, and also the greater collective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think, yeah, there's a lot of people who don't actually know that they are grieving. Yeah, yeah, it's not really talked about enough, hey? Um, it's one of those things I, I often um, just sort of laugh, I guess, to myself, because as we know, this, this emphasis and focus on trauma, I would say, what would you say maybe in this last couple of years, maybe like trauma is really blown up, so to speak. It's like, we hear about it all the time, but we don't really hear about grief as much. Mm -hmm. But in trauma, there's grief. Mm -hmm. Often in grief, there is trauma. These things are so, so interconnected. And if we're looking at this pandemic, there's certainly been trauma and there's certainly been loss and grief. Mm -hmm. And I think that awareness for people to be able to really understand what's going on for them and those in their life as well. We hear about so much divide and conflict and friend groups and in families, but if we really sit down and have these conversations, it's clear why there's been loss. There's been um, a feeling of safety that's been taken away people are struggling and being misunderstood yeah yeah and like we live in a very like just move on sort of culture as it is and I think there's been a lot of dismissal over the course of the pandemic especially of of the very real grief that people are facing and yeah. um yeah making people feel like they're not you know their grief is not valid Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think grief is, it, grief demands to be felt, right? And mm -hmm. the, not that the grieving process even necessarily always lines up exactly with like the, the loss of someone. Like grief isn't always about the death no. of a loved one. Grief can show up in, in so many ways. So I'd love to, yeah, talk more about maybe other ways that that grief can show up in terms of in terms of loss and ways yeah. that look absolutely it's so true grief can be felt and experienced in any situation of loss and we see it everywhere not only during these last two years we see it everywhere all the time in life life is change and life is loss and that can be beautiful and there can also be grief even in those great moments where there's change there can still be grief right so 
if we think about, and I'd like we'd been talking, I'd, I'd shared about this on my Instagram um, a few weeks ago around some of these different experiences of loss and just in having conversations with clients and friends and hearing about these things in the community. We know that initially we went into lockdown, we went into isolation, everyone was told to stay home couldn't go anywhere, don't do anything, it's not safe, don't go to the gym, don't go see friends, don't even go for a walk outside. And people lost so many of their resources, their connections, their identities, time that they won't get back. And Unfortunately, as we know, there's been, um, just like you said, a dismissal of all of that. And that's what I've been seeing a lot lately. And I am getting, you know, quite frustrated at this point because I want people to open their eyes and see that this isn't about us disregarding other, other people, other groups, other places in the world and their experiences but everybody's experience is their experience and if we do not hold space for all of that then we are not helping anybody yeah yeah exactly there's a lot of of labeling and you know it's oh like that's not actual grief like you haven't actually experienced loss that's just an inconvenience yeah like it's I don't understand like the motive I don't understand why we need to be so dismissive of one another's experience um I mean I'm sure it has something to do with ego and I know I talked about this in a previous episode of yeah we think that um we need to belong to a certain group and and that makes us better and and all these things like there's a lot of layers to it obviously but yeah, it sounds like from what you're saying, you're just encouraging people to maybe consider that everyone has a very different experience and each one is valid. Absolutely, absolutely. And even creating that space for us to look at our own experience because I think that is also what's happening we're so quick to look outside and start to compare and judge and dismiss that we aren't even looking at our own experience and I think that what I'm seeing at least in the way that I've been interpreting this is that more of that grief will be coming to the surface now as things start to change in how we're living, as restrictions start to lift, mandates start to lift because there's going to be that waking up, I think, to what has actually just happened in this last two years. You know, I think we've been in this just state of uncertainty and and, in some of that fight or flight survival energy. And now maybe as the dust start to settle, if that's what we want to say or call it, we're going to actually see what has been happening and how we've been impacted. That's what I'm noticing anyways. Yeah, no, definitely. There is a lot of that going on right now. Everyone is in a state of, of panic, of, of fight and flight. And 
Yeah, I think I, I talk about this a lot is that it's also just going on a growth journey in general involves many stages of grief because you're, you're grieving like the person that you used to be, right? In order to, to step into a new evolution of yourself, you kind of have to, to grieve along the way. And that's something I've talked about before is like you're allowing past versions of yourself to die. And so I think that's something that's not talked about enough is like often the stage or the process of growth feels really, really like a grief process and it's challenging and it needs to be honored in the same way that we would honor like if we were experiencing the loss of a loved one. Exactly. I just heard yesterday, I was listening to uh, Mark Grove's podcast. He had an episode called A Good Death, I believe was the name of the episode. And he was speaking about how sometimes we confuse this idea of letting something go as giving up or failing and we don't actually take that time to really appreciate that in this time of transition and growth that there's going to be a lot of letting things go and that that in itself needs to be witnessed and honored and like you just said, unfortunately, that's usually not the focus. We focus on getting on with rather than really taking that space to grieve those versions of ourselves that are no longer moving forward. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think, I mean, I've talked to a lot of people, um, like I know maybe I've felt this way in the past as well as like talking to clients who feel that they are maybe stuck in a state of grief. Uh, mm -hmm. That's how they've described it as like, you know, they, they can't seem to get out of the, the state of grief. So I'd be curious to hear from you, like what does it really mean to move on, right? Like, do we ever really get over it? Mm -hmm. And like, I like, I mean, for myself, I don't think that grief necessarily is like, you know, that exact seven step process. <laughs> it's not linear and it doesn't look the same way for everybody. Uh, but of course, there's all these expectations about what it's maybe supposed to look like and people who are experiencing it for the first time just are not sure. So yeah. I'd love to hear from you like, yeah, what, what does it mean to, to move on and, and what does the process really look like? Yeah, it's interesting that you asked that because I had heard from someone recently after a loss that they'd experienced a sudden loss, they said that they don't know how to grieve. And I wrote to them and I said, yes, you do. <laughs> yes, you do. But we get a lot of again, messaging around what that actually looks like and what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to do that. But the thing is that just like we instinctly know how to love others, we also know how to grieve. And like you said, there's no, there's no clear path. It's going to be and look different for everybody. And one of the things that I really like to come back to is this idea of moving on or getting over but rather what does it look like to move through mm -hmm. with 
as well, move through with, because I think we bring the grief with us forever. Yeah. Depending on, of course, what the experience was and that will shift and change as well. And I like to also highlight the fact that it's not necessarily about the time that's passed, but what we are able to do with that time that we have, right? So if we think rather than the time itself, but that space that we have to work with, work through and bring with what is necessary and for those that are feeling like they're stuck in grief or they're just stuck in pain or loss, whatever the case might be, of course, we know that we can get stuck. We can get stuck in many different ways, right? And so I really like to look at grief from a holistic perspective of mind, body, soul. It's not just about what we're thinking about, it's also what's showing up in our physiology, in our body, right? What's the state of our nervous system? What's happening in terms of our mind, our unconscious mind? Are we stuck playing and repeating images and memories? So there's so many different ways that we can work to move through from that whole person experience. And so if we do feel like we're stuck, it's really great that we can recognize that and have that awareness. And then I think a good question to ask as well is, okay, so I'm a whole being, are there parts of myself that I've been neglecting or forgetting or leaving out as I move through this experience? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's, that's such a good point. And I, I can definitely relate to that feeling of not thinking I knew how to grieve. Yeah. And I mean, what that really left me with was just a state of avoidance of my own experience. And I think that's definitely a trap that people fall into is like, they don't, they think they don't know how, so they just like avoid any, any emotion that, that might come up with that. And I mean, for myself, I think it, it takes, it took a conscious choice to like be willing to participate in it, like to participate in the grief process, because it is possible to just like numb yourself and yeah, yeah, like drink excessively and, and watch Netflix and not actually be present in your experience of grief. And even even certain things like I, my, one of my exes like passed away last year. And when that happened, I realized that I hadn't actually fully grieved the loss of our relationship until that moment, even though we had broken up like three or four years prior. But I think I, I hadn't really processed that. And so hearing that he had actually passed on it was like this double whammy of like finally allowing myself to grieve the loss of our relationship and now the loss of his life. So I think that, I mean, I've talked to some friends that that has happened as well, where, you know, they experience a loss as an adult and it just hits them so hard and it brings up Mm -hmm. all the previous loss that they actually never really 
allowed themselves to feel. Yeah. So it's just so clear that like that never leaves you. It's still there. And as soon as, you know, you have that trigger and, and something else comes up, it, it's all brought to the surface. So I think yeah. that's just such a good example of how it, it's always living <laughs> within you. Um, and like time doesn't necessarily heal things on its own. Like it, it does take that conscious effort to really let yourself experience what you need to experience and, and be with those emotions and yeah just yeah allow yourself to grieve it and move through exactly how you said I love how you put that yeah no it's absolutely so true and I don't think that it's anybody's fault right you're talking about having never fully processed what had happened but that's not the world we live in the world is about doing things faster and better and moving on and what's next and so it's no, it's nobody's fault, but we're then able to recognize as these things are coming up, oh, wow, I actually even dealt with this, 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 and um, maybe, maybe now is that, that time and space that I want to begin to, yeah, work through those things. Mm -hmm. It's never too late to begin, right? We can begin in any moment. And it's, it's really interesting too, how efficient that aspect of ourselves is that brings all of that stuff to the surface, right? It's just, it's so, it's not comfortable, but that's how wonderful and efficient our unconscious mind, our body, our nervous system is. It's offering that to be then exactly witnessed, whether it was something that happened five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter yeah no exactly and I think when you are <clears throat> ready to really look look at it and work through it grief has this amazing potential to really be such a catalyst for for growth yeah and I know that that's what it was for me like <clears throat> I know like I never thought I'd be talking about like the, the gifts of the loss of my mom right like that's just not something you think when you're like in the midst of it. You're like, this is the worst thing that could ever happen to me. Like, why is this happening to me? I, I hate everything. Absolutely. Wow. But when you can really, yeah, take that grief and allow yourself to move through it, you can extract the gifts from that and like see all the lessons because yeah, the like allowing yourself to feel that pain and really witness death and witness rebirth like it's impossible to not grow and to see the world in a completely different way and just really open yourself up to new possibilities and I mean grief is is part of what it means to be alive right it just is a sign that we loved deeply and I think that's really what life is about is loving deeply and grief is simply a natural response to the loss of love right yeah. and yet so many people make themselves wrong for experiencing grief or thinking that they're in a state of grief for too long and I know I also wanted to touch on this like idea of pathologizing grief and really making it wrong like with the the DSM the diagnostic um, and statistical manual of mental disorders um, have recently 
brought in this like even more additions right even more disorders taking uh, these very normal aspects of our life and pathologizing it right grief becomes a complicated grief disorder and now suddenly you need a uh, a medication a pharmacy like I just yeah I would love to hear your your take on that and and what your thoughts are on pathologizing grief yeah well, I always like to look at any of these things that we're experiencing as responses, right? Rather than this label of disorder, mm-hmm. which I know that that resonates with you and the work that you do. And I think I'm, I'm hopeful too that we are starting to see that shift in the way that these things are being looked at and viewed. Um, but with this being a recent addition to the DSM, it's clear that there's still this aspect of, yeah, creating this label as this is the problem, this is what you need to do to fix it, this is what that needs to look like. And so, of course, it's always good to be aware of our experience. If we are finding, yes, that we are really in that grief experience and we cannot do the things that we would normally do in our life, right? Function day to day. If we can't sleep, if we can't eat, if we are isolating from others, it's of course good to be aware of what's happening. But I personally don't find that there is any benefit to adding a label of disorder to that. Because again, everyone's going to have such a different experience. And I think that with something so innate in us as a grief response to then be labeled as a disorder, it further removes us just from what it, like you've been saying, what it means to be human. And it further adds that this is something that is wrong or that we have a problem that needs to be fixed when in reality the opposite is true we know that everyone is going to have a different response so what can be integrated in terms of how we're going to support that person for example if they do have say a history of anxiety or depression, and then there's a loss and the impact further triggers those responses. And we see that different things that they've experienced are now heightened and escalated. We need to know and and be aware so that we can meet that where that person is at, but it doesn't need to be labeled as anything other than what it really is. And I think anytime we start to add disorder or like you've been saying, this is the kind of like the clear way out. Uh, these are, this is the only path out. We hinder people's natural experience and also their healing process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess that's one of my, like sort of gripes with like 
um, looking at the psyche is, you know, we have this one mono mind and there's all these disorders and if some if there's something off it just means that there's something wrong with us and yeah we need to pathologize that and um yeah slap a label on it and that's what i really like about like internal family systems therapy is that it really is looking at the multitude of selves and we are not just that mono mind and we are we are so many things we are a full character sweet yeah. <laughs> exactly exactly and we see how right these different aspects or part parts of ourselves each come with their own reasoning and goals and intent to to be there and anytime we we neglect that we, I think, only further see continued struggle mm. and suffering, unfortunately. So that's why absolutely integrated, or excuse me, internal family systems work. Um, I know that your work incorporates uh, Gabor Mate's compassionate inquiry and the self-compassion that you had been speaking to with Kristen Neff's work. And it's all of these things that are actually meeting the human being mm -hmm. in the full complexity of the human being where they're where they're at yeah yeah that's so true like so many people are not allowing themselves to just actually be a human mm -mm. no no and i think with with some of these labels we move further away from that, unfortunately. So I, I guess I hope that people are able to provide that space for themselves to also get curious about what it means to be human and the experience that they're having and not make it to mean there's something wrong with them. And I know for me in 2018, that's where I was. I was at the doctor getting a diagnosis of anxiety and depression. I was getting medication. I took my note to my employer. I have anxiety and depression, so I can't work. And now here we are four years later. And I just think like, I just, I look back and I just feel so sad for me at that time. I feel so sad for me at that time because none of this, awareness was there and it certainly wasn't being offered by any of the practitioners that I was coming across and it just it was a really isolating place where I just thought I'm broken I can't I clearly can't show up in the world and I'm weak and I'm fragile yeah. and it was anything but empowering and so I think we need, and, and I hope that everyone can start to move towards this place of empowerment where we really recognize how, how complex and how, how beautiful it is to, and like you've been saying, to, to learn through these experiences and receive the gifts that do come. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, that's so true. So, so, so true. And I wanted to, yeah, sort of wrap this up with um, a question around grief that I think a lot of people struggle with. 
which is, you know, what to do when someone that you love is moving through grief and, and how to be there for them. Because I know, like for me, I thought that my mother's death had kind of like turned me into this grief rock star. And I was like, oh yeah, the silver lining of this is that I'm going to know exactly what to do when someone else, you know, experiences a loss and I'm going to be better prepared. But sure enough, <laughs> like as soon as I had a friend who also lost their mom, that that fear still came up even for me as someone who'd been through it of like, oh no, like, what if I get it wrong? What if I do the wrong thing? What if I say the wrong thing? And I think there is often a tendency to like panic over, over every little detail and everything we try to do just makes us feel weird and, and strange. And we yeah. get really wrapped up in our own heads, right? And I mean, at, le at least from me, what I, I would have kind of learned through is like, it's better to, to show up imperfectly than to not show up at all. Absolutely. It, it's really hard when you are going through that and you, you don't even know like what to ask for, right? Mm -hmm. You have no idea. And I think that's a tendency for people to be like, oh, well, just let me know if you need anything. Let yeah. Me know if there's anything that I can do or let me know what I can do to help. But like the person that's in need also doesn't want to impose on the person <laughs> who's offering. So then nothing gets done. Yes. So I think, I mean, it's so important instead of like, instead of saying like, oh, if you need anything, I would say like offering a specific action, like, oh, I can come over and do the dishes or like, I can send you this uh, food service or I'm gonna drop off a lasagna or hire a cleaning person to come clean your house or like any of these sort of like actual tangible solutions. And of course, knowing like, the boundaries of your relationship and and what would actually be appropriate but like even just starting small with with sending some food over to the house like you don't have to actually go there yeah um so yeah i'd love to hear like your opinion on and how you can help others move through grief and how to really be there for them when they're grieving yeah well you said it really well this fear of uh, getting it wrong and i think we will get it wrong um <laughs> you know yeah. I always say to my clients that um grief and loss is anything but tidy and neat and like it's it's not it's messy and it's uncomfortable and I love that you said that even in your own experience of loss you also don't have all the answers for your friend and that's that's exactly it and we don't have to have all the answers those those examples that you gave i think are perfect too that for some asking them what they need they're not going to let us know and people often don't want to burden other people mm -hmm. and i hear that a lot from clients they don't want to be a burden they feel guilty so offering like you said to stop by, to bring coffee, to bring a meal. We can still be respectful of that person's boundaries, their time, their space. But maybe that means, yeah, dropping something off at the doorstep and letting them know that it's there, right? And I think that this noticing in ourselves when we're trying to get it right and do it right, 
if that's where all the focus is, we might just not do anything because we don't want to get it wrong, right? So it's okay that we say, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry if we do get it wrong. It's okay that we, we, we ask the question, what do you need right now? What do you need today? Because I think that things can shift and change so quickly in grief too. So maybe what we need now will be very different than what we need tomorrow. I always like to ask my clients when I see them how they're doing today, because we know that today can look very different than yesterday. Slowing things down, mm -hmm. I think, right? And, and being there without this pressure to get it perfect, to get it right, it won't be. It's okay that we apologize if we've misstepped, missed something. And know too that the way that we can show up for others, perhaps whether that whether we have been through an experience ourselves or not is going to be unique to who we are. So for example, the way that I would show up for a friend could be very different than another friend might show up for, for them. And it's okay, we're all different and we're all gonna do it differently. And so staying true to what feels right to us, right? How is it that we like to show that love and care and compassion as well and, and working with those strengths? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think the most important part of it is just taking yourself out of it, <laughs> like taking me out of it. Like we get stuck in this. I don't want to do it wrong. I don't want to impose. Mm -hmm. um, but like, yeah, just, just stop worrying about what your response says about you and be willing to get it wrong. And I think that is such a strong message, just like in society in general, like so many of us are not willing to get it wrong so it keeps us in a state of inaction in like every area of our lives this is not just a grief thing and that's that's such an important message and something else yeah that's a whole other the whole other podcast topic absolutely absolutely yeah it's a theme <laughs> yeah no exactly and I think yeah if I could say like one more thing it would be like don't rely on the grieving person to make you feel better. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's right. We don't want the person who's in that experience to be the one that's comforting us. That's right. Um, we can, we can um, take that time to acknowledge for ourselves that it's uncomfortable and, and choose to act and, and be that that support for someone exactly mm -hmm. exactly yeah because I think sometimes people have a tendency like oh you know if it if a text goes unanswered they're like oh you didn't you didn't answer me like did I say something wrong did I do something wrong like now's not the time <laughs> now's not the time for that after text anxiety um it's it's very cruel to start friendship drama while someone is in grief. And that is something that I experienced and I would not wish that upon anyone. So 
Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. No drama. No drama. We don't need, no, that's right. When we're in these experiences, that's right. And, and I know that that can be tricky, right? Because we panic and there is this quick, so if you're noticing that in yourself, right, what have I done? Oh no, I got it wrong work through that but exactly give that person their space and and can you do that uh independently or with someone else yeah 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 that's yeah that's really good I feel good about all those offerings <laughs> that's helpful for someone who's listening and is like how the heck do I support someone in grief because I, it's a question that we all face at some point is you know how do I how do I support what can I offer exactly yeah, no, amazing. That feels like a really good place to, to end off. I'd just love to finish by, yeah, hearing where, what you have going on. Like if you have any, if you have any offerings coming up for group programs or how people can connect with you and yeah, anything that you can offer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say the easiest place is on Instagram. Um, so my handle on Instagram is shiftwpg. And I also have a website, shiftwpg.com, where I have a list of everything that I offer. In terms of what's coming up, um, a good friend and I are going to be launching, I'm not sure when this episode will go out, so I don't know if it'll be before or after, but we do have a yoga and therapy group coming up beginning March 12th, and it's running for six weeks. We're incorporating um, working with with yoga and focusing on nervous system health and polyvagal theory and so really looking to create this feeling of strength and safety from within so that we're able to move through these experiences that we're facing right now and that's going to be i think just such a nice opportunity for people to come back to themselves, their body. We're going to be incorporating the yoga, breath work, community reflection, journaling, and there's myself and Jenna Ham is the other uh, therapist and yoga instructor. That's that's uh, we're co-leading that together. So it'll be it'll be a really nice opportunity for just creating this time and space because I think I know that I need it I can't wait for it to begin so I think it'll be a valuable offering for folks yeah for sure it sounds amazing and that's going to be virtual right so anyone can well, yeah yeah absolutely awesome. so yeah I might be in it too who knows <laughs> awesome awesome yay okay well thank you so much Amanda it was such a pleasure to connect with you today Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being here. Before you go, if you have a quick second to leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it just takes two seconds and it will really help me in terms of growing this podcast organically. I really, really appreciate your support in that. And if you took anything away from this episode, I'd encourage you to share it. Share it with a friend share it on your Instagram story and tag me at ugly growth and I'll repost it. I absolutely love to hear from you. I love hearing what your takeaways are and it really helps me to curate 
future episode ideas. So I want this to be a collaborative process. So thank you so much for your participation. And yeah, I'll see you in the next episode.